the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, December the 1st, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on December 1, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln sent his second annual message to Congress. In it, he called for the abolition of slavery, went on to say, quote, Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. Today in 1824, the presidential election was turned over to the U.S. House of Representatives. There was a deadlock among John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, William Crawford, and Henry Clay. Adams, as you probably know, John Quincy, the son of John Adams, the second president, one of our founders, John Quincy, ended up winning, becoming president. Today in 1941, Japan's Emperor Hirohito, he approved waging war against the United States, Britain, and Netherlands. That was a very bad decision, as we all know. Today in 1942, during World War II, nationwide gasoline rationing went into effect in the United States. The goal was not so much to save on gas, but to conserve rubber that was desperately needed for the war effort by reducing the use of tires. Today, in 1955, Rosa Parks, the black seamstress, she was arrested after refusing to give up her seat to a white man on a Montgomery, Alabama city bus. That became the rallying cry, as you know, of the civil rights movement. Today, in 1969, the U.S. government held its first draft lottery since World War II. Today, in 1990, British and French workers digging the channel between uh, that tunnel it goes between the two countries. They finally met after knocking out a passage in a service tunnel. Big deal was made out of it. But, you know, even though they met in the channel underwater and got the tunnel completed, there's a lot of angst between Britain and France to this day. I remember years ago, Marjorie and I were in London and we were in a taxi. And this taxi driver was talking about London. He'd been born and raised there. And uh, he was talking about how great it was and everything. And, you know, we were going, yeah, yeah, listening to him. It was very interesting. But somehow he got on the subject of France. And he just, and he was very mild-mannered and, you know, just kind of laid back kind of a guy. But when he talked about France, he just went off. And uh, <clears throat> he did not like France. He did not like French people. And he told us, uh, I mean, just strangers riding in his taxi, he said, I will never set foot on French soil ever in my life. And on and on. I mean, he was really upset. I was just glad we weren't French. But um, it's interesting how people become so polarized in life. We're polarized today in America. Surveys show that the nation is about evenly split in attitudes about abortion. We're split on a number of things, but probably nothing more strongly and more deeply than abortion. 
I want to talk to you a little bit about that today as our nation's highest court begins to hear arguments of why Roe v. Wade is not a constitutional right to abortion. Every poll that I see, and I pay a lot of attention to polls, I, I look at them all the time, and I, I know they can be misleading. That's why I look at lots of them. And it depends on how the questions are asked. It depends a lot on who's taking the poll, for sure. But one thing I find fairly, in fact, very consistent in all the polls that I read, and I read, I see some polls every day for this program. <clears throat> so... As I look at these, the one thing that I see consistent is that people are suffering from loneliness. Even in big cities, in New York City, people say, I'm lonely. And certainly that's a direct result, in great part, to this pandemic. Lockdowns, shutdowns, wear a mask. You can't even see anybody's face anymore. When they say something, you don't know if they're smiling or scowling. So we live in a very isolated world now, and we have for the last two years, politically charged to the to great degree. But nonetheless, that is is what it is, and that's the way it's been. I was thinking about that, and I read a poll, in fact, this morning. I'm not really talking about it except to mention it in this, but it said most people have experienced loneliness over the past 12 months as this year of 2021 comes to a conclusion in that we're in the last month of the year. I thought of how the Bible speaks to this, to us, and maybe maybe you too, I mean so many have, maybe you've experienced loneliness. Let me give you a word of encouragement. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, For he hath said, and this is the point, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So there is a constant, even when we're walking through a period of loneliness, and that is the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And in John 14:18, Jesus simply said this, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. When you feel lonely, when you feel isolated, when you feel disconnected, Jesus himself said, I will come to you. He is always with us. He will come to you. Don't forget that. Those surveys that show that most people experience loneliness over the last year, they also show a nation evenly split in attitudes toward abortion. Some of the most recent polls, one from Gallup in particular, shows 47% say abortion is morally acceptable and 46% say it's morally wrong. There are other polls taken by more conservative organizations that uh, find that that number is reversed. There are also polls from more liberal that show a greater disparity between the two. But essentially, the nation is divided. 49% self-identify as pro-choice, and 47% in a number of polls identify as pro-life. However, if we break that down, 
the averages into components, the thing that stands out most is that our nation is deeply polarized over the right to life, the sanctity of life. 64% of Democrats say abortion is morally acceptable. 70% say self-identify as pro-choice. Only 26% of Republicans say abortion is morally acceptable, and 74% self-identify as pro-life. I, I would have suspected more would have who identify as Republicans would have identified as pro-life, but 74% in most polls. Abortion is really a bellwether that it kind of shows this profound split in the nation. And it really is about life, and it's about the sanctity of life, but it's about the person's worldview. Are we a nation of moral absolutes that sees our culture grounded in tradition and biblically sourced standards of good and evil, right and wrong? Or are we something different? Are we a humanist nation? Are we a nation defined by secular humanism and moral relativism? Right at the center of the world is not God, it's man. Every civilization at one point has taken a left turn and gone down that path. The outcome was different. Some became subject to a dictator. Others had a Hitler. Others different kinds of humanism, but always humanism. That's when man replaces God. We have moved dramatically toward humanism in the last half century. In the lifetime of some of you older folks, the results are there. We can't argue with that as you look at poll after poll after poll. But since Roe v. Wade, that decision that was made in 1973, the percentage of American adults who have never been married has quadrupled. As has the percentage of babies born to unwed mothers. We're moving to become a childless nation. A childless nation ceases to exist. In a recent Pew Research study, 44% of non-parents ages 18 to 49 say it's unlikely that they will have children. Among parents ages 18 to 49, 74% said it's unlikely they will have any more children. U.S. fertility rates have dropped every year for the last six years and now are at a historic low of 1.64. That's well below the national, international standard of 2.1 that's necessary, that's reproduction rate, that's necessary to keep the population of a country stable and at a constant. One of the reasons, well, there are a number of reasons, but one of the reasons and the things that got us to this point is I know I know how many people are going to, this is going to anger, but I, I'm not saying it to anger you. I'm just saying it because it's true. Is the, the women's movement. Women have become obsessed with trying to be men. I mean, biologically identifying, and that goes both ways, I understand. But the women's movement has pushed a generation, a couple of generations, but this last one, current one in particular, toward the notion that if they can't beat men at everything from sawing logs to flying jets, they're not a real woman. 
And you have to ask yourself, how did we get, I mean, why can't they be a real woman and be more than a man by being a woman? Star Parker is a black lady, devout Christian, articulate writer. She wrote a piece this morning and she said, there's a certain irony among liberals whom we can credit for today's politically correct woke culture. She said, there, we, we don't want dehumanizing racial stereotypes, but the same people obsessed with racial categories are not at all bothered by a culture in which men and women use each other as sex objects and women can be free to destroy a child that might result from a sexual encounter if its birth could lead to responsibilities that might disturb her career. That's true. And that's a woman saying that. She said about the Dobbs decision and Roe v. Wade, and we'll talk about that next, but she said it's an issue of viability, and she's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. She said, in my view, these games with language really point to the victory thus far of secular humanism. The true issue is if life is sacred, if the answer is yes, it is sacred in and out of the womb. She said, if we conclude it is not, we are on the road to becoming a nation without children, where the only love is self-love, and I am sorry to say, without a future. I say no thanks to this and hope the Supreme Court will make the right decision and allow Mississippians to protect sacred life. So very true. We have become so confused, male and female is even confused in today's world. And that is a part of the bigger picture that the Constitution supposedly gives women the right to kill the baby that's going to get in the way of their career or whatever if they don't want the baby. That's what we're really talking about today. Pastor Jack Graham, who's pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church, is one of the largest churches in America. One, I think it was the fastest growing last year church in the country. He tweeted about an hour ago, he said, as SCOTUS, Supreme Court of the United States, considers a landmark case for potential destruction of Roe v. Wade, please pray. The light will prevail over darkness and the choice for life will be returned to the people. We're at a tipping point. What we have prayed and worked for is right in front of us. Indeed, it is. I want to talk to you a little bit about what's, being, what's happening as we speak before the Supreme Court. Today, the Supreme Court of the United States has begun hearing oral arguments. They are happening as we speak in the building. The case is called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. I mentioned it yesterday, but I mention it again. As Dobbs versus Jackson goes, so also may go Roe v. Wade. The pillar upon which the abortion industry stands is Roe v. Wade. They claim abortion is a woman's constitutional right. That has killed 63 million babies, unborn babies, making billions and billions of dollars for the industry since 1973. Capitol Hill police said they were expecting, they said yesterday afternoon, they were expecting at least 20,000 protesters this morning in D.C. Historic turnout of pro-life, pro-abortion advocacy. They will likely result in a larger crowd than any Supreme Court demonstration in the history of our country. Will Roe v. Wade be aborted? Or will the gift of life continue to be snuffed out under the guise of women's health care? 
I want to give you some insight on this. The news will not treat this fairly, so be prepared. They will either report on what's happening in the Supreme Court today and in the following day. They're going to hear the, hear the, the arguments. The news media will either tell you tonight on the news, if you watch it at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever, they will tell you that this is an assault on a woman's right to women's health care. That's what they will say. It will be couched around that narrative. It will not be about the sanctity of life. It will be about a woman's right to health care. Now, who doesn't want their mother? What man doesn't want his mother, his sister, his wife or girlfriend or whatever to have health care? That's craziness and it's bizarre, but that's where we are today in America. They don't tell the truth. The truth is not within them in our news system. Before the Supreme Court today, there were prophets of old. Spoke, they spoke under the inspiration of Almighty God. Their words became our Bible. Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 1, verse 5, said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. That verse wasn't just directed at Jeremiah, although God knew him in the womb. God knows every child in the womb. Last Sunday, pro-life leaders gathered in Jackson, Mississippi, to pray and ask God to guide the justices of the Supreme Court this week as they hear these arguments beginning today. It's a case out of Mississippi. If they rule favorably toward life on this, it could upend Roe v. Wade. Speaking at the event, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves, he's a big pro-life advocate, the governor of Mississippi. Tate Reeves says, quote, Now I think too many politicians are afraid to say it, but I'll say it. Abortion is barbaric. Abortion is evil. It's probably the greatest evil of our day. Every single day in America, thousands of children lose their God-given inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, indeed, they do. But this case is different than some that have become an issue in the courts and even some before the Supreme Court. Let me give you a few details. I don't want to drown in them, but let me give you just a few details on this matter. The Christian Post has written a a really good in-depth article on this. I mean, a lot of people have written on it, but I identified that in a piece that I wrote this morning on our website, faithandfreedom.us. And there is a link to the Christian Post article that I'm going to kind of summarize a little bit for you because they really did a lot of research on it. They did a good job. But you can go there, faithandfreedom.us. And you can, there's a lot more that I'm not going to mention because for the sake of time. But the Supreme Court has reviewed several cases related to abortion since 1973, of course. But the others were related to late-term abortions, free speech rights, pro-life advocacy, can we stand on the sidewalk? There was all kinds of things like this. But they were. it had to do with restrictions on abort, abortion providers based on ambulatory care and proximities to particular medical services and all these kinds of things, which are all important. But this is different than that. A major component of Roe was the issue of viability. And in this case, 
the Dobbs case, as they call it, the Supreme Court has agreed to address the question of viability. That's why this is a big deal. Whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. That's significant because Roe forbids states from prohibiting abortion pre-viability. Roe v. Wade was based on, I'm not a doctor, and most of you aren't either, although there are some doctors that listen to this program and we hear from them, and there are some that support this program. And by the way, thank you for your support. It is, well, it's absolutely necessary, as you know, so we can continue to do what we do. And so many of you stand with us each month, and some of you make contributions periodically, but all of you, thank you for your support. We need it. In fact, our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. Roe forbids states from prohibiting abortion pre-viability. This prohibition is the very reason why lower courts have kept Roe in place. That's why they haven't ruled against it because they don't know how to address the viability issue. It's a tough issue. For example, one of the judges that struck down Mississippi's law in the lower federal courts, he said in an <clears throat> excuse me, in an unbroken line dating to Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court's abortion cases have established and affirmed and reaffirmed a woman's right to choose an abortion before viability. States may regulate abortion procedures prior to viability so long as they do not impose an undue burden on the woman's right. I don't believe the Constitution gives a woman the right to kill an unwanted baby, but that's part of this discussion. But they may not ban abortion. The fact that the U.S. Supreme Court is revisiting viability, that shows that their decision will in some way impact Roe v. Wade. Now, there's several outcomes that could come out of this. But let me, and, and again, there's much to this. If we had an hour, we'd say more, but let me touch on some of it. They could, number one, what could come out of this, they could strike down Mississippi's 15-week ban on abortion. If a court should affirm the lower court's rulings, that would be a setback for those of us who are pro-life. So pray that that doesn't happen. The second thing that could happen from this is the court could take kind of a middle ground approach. I pray they don't do that, but they could. If the Supreme Court rejects the lower court's ruling and upholds Mississippi's law, they could also uphold Roe v. Wade. In in 1973, the gestational age at which a child could generally survive outside the womb was generally seen by the medical community as later in the development stage than we now know. In fact, and again, I believe a child is a child at conception. I believe that's when life begins. But I'm talking about the medical community. But there's been many advancements since 1973. This would be an incremental victory for all of us who are pro-life, if they kind of come down in the middle, which they tend to do sometimes, but I pray they don't. It would get us closer to the goal, but it would leave a lot of work to do to deliver the unborn babies from evil. Number three, what, that, as I see it, would be 
to overturn Roe v. Wade. If the court sees reason, and it could happen with this new Trump court, that's what Nancy Pelosi calls it, Roe v. Wade could be overturned by this case. In the event that that would happen, the outcome would most likely be the regulatory power will return to the states, enabling them state by state to outlaw abortion if they so choose. I don't think a federal ruling will come down in that abortion is legal, abortion is not legal federally. But in any case, those, excuse me, Uh, too much coffee this morning. In any case, that's a bit of a profile of what's going on today. It's much broader and deeper than that, but that's, that touches on it. But what could actually happen? Former Vice President Mike Pence, yes, he's probably running for presidency. He hasn't declared it yet, but he's out there. There are others are running as well. We have a number of very highly qualified Republicans who are getting ready, I think, to run for president in 2024. Pence is one of them. But he's, he believes beyond a shadow of a doubt, he said yesterday, that on-demand abortion is one of the greatest injustices in America and throughout his entire political career. He said he has staunchly ad- advocated that a child is a gift from God. Well, indeed, he does. He's deeply spiritual, deeply committed to the Lord, deeply pro-life. He was speaking at the National Press Club yesterday. He said, we're asking the court in no uncertain terms to make history. We are asking the Supreme Court of the United States to overturn Roe v. Wade and restore the sanctity of human life to the center of American law. Pence said the court's misguided decision in Roe v. Wade has inflicted a tragedy not only on our nation, but on humanity. This is hard to fathom. He said its scale is unprecedented in the history of mankind. Continuing, he said in the 48 years since the court's ruling, unborn children being relegated into a caste of second-class citizens devoid of most basic human rights. Precious babies have lived outside the protection of the law at the mercy of a culture and an abortion industry that has profited from their suffering. He quoted Jeremiah 1.5 that I quoted a moment ago, and he also quoted from Proverbs. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward slaughter. Does he think the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade? Somebody asked him that. Here's what he said, quote, When the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, and I believe with all my heart that day will come, either now or in the near future, it will not come as a surprise to anyone. It will simply be the culmination of a 50-year journey whose course and destination have been set by the will of the American people. Ben said, I want to encourage conservatives. All of you, he said. These here today, this was the press club. Probably weren't too many there that day, yesterday, but some. He said, those here today and those across America, he said, I want to encourage you to be confident, to keep the faith and pray. The effective and fervent prayer of the righteous people availeth much. So I encourage each and every one of you tomorrow, that would be today, and every day to take this matter to the throne of grace. So that's where we are today. This will continue. I'll keep you updated. We'll talk about this as it develops over the next few days. I don't know how long the arguments will be heard, but there will be sufficient evidence there put before the Supreme Court that they will make a decision. Now, their decision will be in June. This one that will come out. That's six months from now. So I know we'll be real motivated during this hearing to pray, but let's not forget to pray 
afterwards as they get into their own deliberations and so on in the coming months. But this is a big deal to God, and it must be to all of us. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.